I would like to begin by acknowledging and paying my respects to the Wandri and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which I stand today. I also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands from which we're all listening in from, both here and around the world. I would like to pay my respect to Elders, past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander folk listening in today. We recognise the customs, traditions and laws of First Nations people, which existed long before colonisation and will continue long after this current system is dismantled. Sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be. Aboriginal land. In the heat of the Welcome everyone to another episode of Loud, Angry and Not Sorry, where we talk about news, politics and current events from a feminist perspective. My name is Leah and this week we are joined by special guest Sam Castro. Hi everyone, my name is Sam Castro, as Leah just mentioned. Uh, I am co-founder and a volunteer at Whistleblowers Activist and Communities Alliance and in my day pay job work for the wonderful Friends of the Earth. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been a, a long, we've been trying to do this for how long? <laughs> I think at least since our podcast started. I think yeah. we started at the same time, didn't we? We've, yeah. Um, oh God, the no, I keep getting yours and Tom's podcast confused. I always go like Tom's podcast is The Fe- Poor Will Feed the Birds. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. And yours is called? They're Gonna Kill Us. That's it. Uh, so, yeah, Be- Bedlam and I started a podcast. I mean, again, we've been talking about it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, right before the pandemic hit, we decided that we needed to uh, start a, a podcast account, all the ways they're going to kill us and what we should do about it. Uh, so it was quite timely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, um, very appropriate for the, mm. for this current government. Look, I think um, it's great. There's a whole new sort of era of activists and thinkers doing podcasts. I, I know people, you know, complain about all oh, the lefty podcasts, but actually I, I felt like the public intellectual pool had been so concentrated in the baby boomer generation that there was a massive gap. So I'm really getting back into uh, radio and podcasts because finally there are voices emerging with political analysis that is not based on, you know, living through the 60s. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like so so much of the mainstream media is just like saturated with with marketing and Mm. political agenda. Yeah. It's, It's really cool to have like, you know, like you said, political discourse without having to worry about like who's going to pay for it totally the the great thing about technology and you know not all of it is awesome but um uh-huh. yeah just just the freedom to be able to create a space to have discussions is yeah yeah one of the benefits yeah. for sure yeah. so yay finally we're on a podcast together <laughs> yeah that's so our theme though like we're always just like we should do this we should do this we should do this and then like a year later we're just like we should actually do that thing yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when you're busy and a woman and and time poor hey yeah um, if only we had time to get to all the things we want to do I think especially through you like just being like all right let's just start it and just go yeah. Let's just see what happens. Like things can fail. That's okay. What happened? What didn't happen? And let's just try again. Yeah, totally. Sometimes you spend so long trying to perfect something by the time you go to do it, it's it's kind of the momentum is gone. So I'm a big believer in kind of having a rough idea of where you want to be and then trusting the people around you and taking the risk and just starting it and trusting mm. that you can all navigate it together. And, and I think that's 
quite often if you look at the the social history of the world some of the best things that have happened have not had sort of a complete timeline and KPIs laid out of how to get to it. A, uh, a productivity and, map and a cost benefit analysis. Yeah a Gantt chart to how to dismantle patriarchy. Oh my god imagine. I'm sure there is someone out there with one of those actually. Yeah. It's exactly what we need. Oh my god my throat is killing me like the the benefits of having a child but like Mm. when um Isabel was off school like we did not get sick it was so nice yes three times this year I know kids are just they bring every germ home it's just horrendous sharing is not caring not always Um, no but but no nits so that's fingers crossed. Hallelujah. I, I tell you what, though, that goes on for a while. Do you know the last time my kids got nits, we were in Mexico and they were like 14, 16 and nearly 18. And, yeah, two two out of the three just had a carnival going on in their heads. It was unbelievable trying to pick out nits in a foreign country and they they just (laughs) never stop. And then I don't know what happens. It's like you become an adult and unless you're in contact with a child, people rarely get nits. So I don't know what that is. It's strange, isn't it? Mm. You know, unless you're on a blockade camp with a bunch of feathers and then, yeah, quite likely the whole camp will get nits. But (laughs) bless, bless them. Speaking of, I don't know, blockade camps. (laughs) I don't don't know. (laughs) I never know how to transition into things, but we, we've been speaking recently about uh, women's strike. Yes. Yes, we have. And it's going to happen, I hope. No, yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we've set a date, so. Yeah. Uh, um, for the third slightly. time. Yeah. <laughs> it gets back to that time poor busyness. Uh, we've slightly changed the name. We've added Feminist Fridays. Hopefully it's the beginning of an ongoing rolling sort of stoppage. And I really like the fact that in the conversations we've been having about it with um, each other and with some other women, I like the idea of what we were talking about in mutual aid and, and how our cis men colleagues can contribute to supporting women to be able to take a day off to come and have those discussions. So, yeah, I think there's some really interesting ideas emerging of how we make it accessible and possible and Mm. how our um, allies can do more than, you know, simply tell us that they uh, support feminism. (laughs) And and how shocked they are by how bad the system is. I know, right? Yeah. The, The endless shock of something that's been going on for 13,000 years. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that they've been actively benefiting from. Um, I mean, I, I, I find like even, um, you know, quite well-educated men on the left, when I start uh, sort of bringing in the intersectionality of, well, you know, the industrial age and capitalism from my perspective and, and I'm, I appreciate ecofeminism, I, I don't agree with all elements of it. I don't like the essentializing element of speaking of women as purely life givers and baby <laughs> machines um you, and I don't you mean you're not like a, a goddess of the earth <laughs> well look I did have three babies in four years so I'd say, I, I'd say I'm a badass of the, yeah. <laughs> of the world but there is this thing that sort of spirals off into the weird uh new age 
space of essentializing women as goddesses and life bearers and therefore the ones that should be uh, culturally and socially responsible for all the caregiving and um, all the unpaid labor. So the conversation I've been having over the last few years with the men in my world is, you know, when they're like, oh, patriarchy is not the problem, it's capitalism. It's just like, what the fuck do you think capitalism and the industrial age is built on? Yeah. Um, Because, you know, we all have an understanding of uh, slavery and the use of black and brown people's bodies, but we don't talk a lot about the connections between early accumulative capitalism and the rise of the nation state and the enclosure of women's bodies, the need to push women out of positions of power within their societies and regulate them for domestic purposes uh, and in a similar way, it was the beginning of that kind of uh, slavery and and the closing off of public commons uh, that women were facilitating back into domestic space. And and it was also through the witch hunts uh, mm. and 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 the attacks on women by both both church and state, really a way to cull intergenerational knowledge and power of women out of open spaces in the public domain. And if they didn't comply, then of course they were called witches and mm. and murdered. And, you know, many, many hundreds oh, of thousands of women. They don't do that now though, do they, Tony? <laughs> no, no, of course not. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no like gaslighting or like slander of, of personality in that. Yeah. Like, like whenever a woman speaks up and speaks out, they always try to undermine their character. Yeah, and and the fact that all of these hundreds of years later, we are still in a raging battle across the globe to control our own bodies. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the side of violence, much, much in the way that neoliberal industrial capitalism is uh, raping and pillaging the planet, and this is where I really agree with ecofeminism, is that 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 is othered is either dominated or destroyed. The site of the battle still remains in our bodies and in our uh, restriction of movement, expression, control of how Mm. we create, how we create life that is our capacity is not in our control in so many places still. And, you know, and this is the thing about when you talk to women around the globe in the feminist spaces, the 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 position that we're in in Australia where we're, I don't know, beyond third wave or, you know, what you would call it, we're definitely past second wave and <laughs> maybe even third wave. But the, the battles that are going on, you know, for for some of our uh, sisters and, and for some of our um, queer community friends across the globe is still so first wave in so many ways, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was speaking to someone in India and the, the stuff that is happening over there at the moment yeah is beyond anything but even here like with first nations people and the removal yep. of children how is this still happening i know the forced chemical sterilization are people with mental health issues and like cognitive yep. issues yeah and how how do we not have i mean i do know how we don't have full bodily autonomy hmm. but the fact that we don't have full bodily autonomy is a to me is the the first and foremost thing that we need to address yeah And I think, again, it follows a really sort of parallel pathway to the experiences of First Nations peoples around the planet and black and brown communities in terms of 
structural racism, for example. If you think about the way Jim Crow has morphed and manipulated itself, both in America, but in similar ways here under the White Australia policy, um, and the things we're just talking about, the fact that children are still now being removed, but under the guise of another policy, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, a similar thing has happened with women. It's it, it's this thing, well, well, you're equal. We gave you the vote. You, you're free. <sighs> but but we all know that the system and the legal structures and all of the financial who, structures. Who have we got to vote for? I, no, Jul- who? Every, everyone goes on about Julia Gillard being this feminist icon because of that misogyny speech, which I will still acknowledge is a great speech. It is a great speech. But on the day that she was repealing yep. childcare payments and things like this. like Yeah, yeah, no. absolutely. And, and that's, and you know, we're talking about domestic issues. Yes. That's without even looking at our foreign policy and the way that we completely um, obfuscate how our foreign policy and our engagement in endless US wars has harmed women and children in the millions. And it's like, because it's so far away, it's invisible, but both sides of politics and women upholding the patriarchy in those institutions I have voted for policies that do nothing more than make a mockery of feminist principles, which again, like it's similar to, you know, there was a debate going on after Monday. Is it Julie Banks, the ex-liberal? I should really just Google it (laughs) because I keep going, is it Julie or Julia? Uh, I think it's Julie. Banks. I don't know. You know, having um, this idea that things, for things to be beyond politic and and therefore will create this broad church where, well, liberal women are affected by violence by men. Yes, this is true. But it's not because it's beyond politic. It's actually because women have engaged in that ideological form of politic that ends up harming themselves just Mm. as men engage in patriarchal um, behaviour that ends up harming themselves. And I feel like we need to really, you know, sort of step away from the 90s, early noughties idea that anyone can be a feminist (laughs) because that is how they depoliticised our movement. Yeah. So for me, it was really quite confronting to see Banks speaking at March for March, knowing that that person had contributed to wanting to keep unemployed people um, below the poor, below the poverty line. To me, it's like, well, that's fine, but you don't get to call yourself a feminist and stand with us in this platform without acknowledging your contribution to that. Yeah, absolutely. We all make mistakes and we all grow. And she obviously had a really fucked up experience because she left and good on her for leaving. And maybe she reflects and and does realize what she's doing. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. But I do think there is this really clever trick of men in power and the patriarchy. And, And you can see it in the far right movement as well, where they take the language of the left Mm. claim it as part of their own identity um, and then they use it to obfuscate the very real material decisions they make in positions of power that fundamentally harm anyone that has anti-capitalist, you know, grassroots analysis of, of feminism, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, absolutely. Keeping the, the welfare rate below the poverty line mm. disproportionately affects women, yep. First Nations people, even the Indu card. Like yes. That, that is 
fucked. That is it's so disgusting. fucked. And, you know, this goes all the way back to John Howard, really, doesn't it? Mm. And, and the intervention in the Northern Territory. When you can suddenly take something that is said to be a fundamental human right and then suspend the Racial Discrimination Act, saying that you're doing it out of some sort of sense of white saviour behaviour. It's nothing more than financial abuse. Yeah, Totally. And coercive and, control. Oh, well, it is a lot more than that, I should it's say. Violence. But like, it, it's violence. It's absolutely it's, is violent. It's structural violence. And, mm. and this is where I also, I guess I'm hopeful that the stuff that we've been planning and talking about, which we'll get into more, I'm sure, is a, is a real attempt to not, to not let what's going on now for the women of Australia focus on um, just individual behaviour or even just mm. parliamentary behaviour. We have to move from understanding that the personal is political yeah, and, and that the connection is from the individual body all the way to the state with its violence, which is, you know, what I love around um, the Rapist Is You yeah. song is just the deep, the deep understanding of women that come from Chile and other parts of South America and Central America where the patriarchal violence is so incredibly strong um, at every single level from the home to the state and the military. Yep. And just because it's more buried and, and more integrated here, we, we, we think it's not happening here. Mm. Um, but you only have to take a little dive below the surface to see what's going on in the military and the police force and how the state uses legislative power to commit violence against us all the time yeah and to protect their own yeah and I think the reason that we haven't been able to resolve long-standing issues like control of our bodies equal representation equality equal pay you know we could go on and on I think part of that reason is that for many many decades what what the patriarchal structures and institutions do through their masculine mouthpieces is uh, absolutely encourage us to focus on the individual it's like one mm. bad apple. We'll just put yeah. some be- we'll put some better men in there. And then everything, <laughs> girls, 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 don't worry, we'll get rid of the bad men and then the good men will tell you what to do and it will be much better. You know, it's still this hierarchy of concentrated power where I find it offensive that I have to ask the very people oppressing me for my freedom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that was one of the things that concerned me about the March for Justice, even though I love the movement and I think it's fantastic and well yeah. done to the organisers and all of that. I was very concerned with the conversations that were happening that were circling just around what was happening in Parliament and just yes. like, who was it? Who is this one person? As if it's not, this isn't a systemic issue that happens across all workplaces. Yeah. Yeah. across across the country across the world like yeah. we we can't just be focusing on like you said individual people because that's what capitalism does is it individualizes things and separates exactly. us this is this is a systemic issue that needs a systemic response and and like you said we can't just ask people for our rights and like march for a day and expect change because that's mm. not how things have happened the government never changes on their own they they change from grassroots activists pushing mm constantly ongoing and demanding our rights and I genuinely don't think anything is going to change within this colonial capitalist patriarchal system we we need to actually start like tapping away at the bricks yes 
yes. we can't we can't just be knocking at the door and saying, "Here's our petition. We got no. some signatures. We we need to constant ongoing pressure." And I think that's what these rolling stoppages will do. Yeah, like I want I want to do it weekly, but everyone's just like, "Oh my god, Leah, I'm exhausted thinking about <laughs> it." I would love to do it weekly as well, but I feel like I need. I need a month to wrap my head around committing to doing it weekly. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I have to plan that out. But but I do th- I do hope that we're able to build to that point. Mm. Um, and you know, like I'm planning on asking my work colleagues for those weekly um, uh, gatherings to be part of my job. To be like, oh, fantastic! I'm just going to say this is part of the work that I'm doing, and this is I will in future be blocking out from Friday midday until 6 p.m. Um, a time frame where this is part of the work that I am doing and I consider this part of my job yeah. to, to better my workplace and the society that we live in. Yeah. You know? I um, think that's a pretty valuable part of your job. Yeah. Now, I'm very lucky that I work yeah. with radical human beings who will be like, fuck, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know not everyone is in that position. And that's why I think it's really important we develop these kind of feminist mutual aid models to enable women that, that might feel like they can't participate to find a way. Yeah. I understand that that might not be every week for some of those women. Yeah. Um, but the reality is once we've started doing that weekly gathering, uh, we might be able to move it to even a weekend because the purpose of it, I think, should be about organising yeah. um, rather than trying to create some sort of mass mobilisation in the short term. It should be about us actually recognising that we, as a feminist movement, have been depoliticized, mm-hmm. And every time we've tried to repoliticize it, we've been punished for that. Mm. So we need to go back to like, organizing 101 you know starting your at your kitchen table starting your workplace in your school you know yeah. uh, and really rebuild the fact that feminism is not a dirty word and this has been the greatest trick of the patriarchy is to turn women on each other mm. and 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 to present it as somehow a threat to everybody uh, and in the process I feel like over the last 15 years the rights uh, steady erosion away of the language of the left, has, you know, enabled men's rights groups and incels to murder people and to Mm. present these, like, crazy ideas that if you're feminist, you you hate all men, you know. And, look, maybe some people... Just you, Dave. (laughs) Just just you, David. (laughs) And your your man shed. Oh, Um, for fuck's sake. And, and also we need to learn from from what they've done. You know, I, th- I I hate to say it, but I think the right wing were incredibly strategic over over a long period of time of infiltrating things like men's sheds and and really creating this sense that women are a threat. And and you know, this this shit goes back to, you know, Freud and the dark continent and you know, this <sighs> whole like, this whole idea that we are somehow we are the ones that do magic and voodoo, you know, hypnotizing the far right with our vaginas, you know. I just fair enough. If only we could. I would I would like hypnotize them all and then I would march them onto a cliff and make them step off. And then we can move on with a sustainable, healthy you, world. Imagine if that's all you had to do, like just every Friday, Feminist Fridays are just like all of these women just like 
We just sit oh. on the steps, sit on the steps of Parliament with our legs spread and wait for all the neo Nazis to rock up. You know. <laughs> oh my God! Imagine. And then Leo, we just we put you on like a, a chariot throne, you know, carried yeah. by incels. Simps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, you just spread your legs, and we just you know we walk up to the West Gate. <laughs> Or whatever bridge you can still jump off in this city, uh, and you know. I'll like infect the water supply. That's such a good idea. Oh my oh god! My oh my god! Right. I'm taking you to the Sugarloaf Dam for you to flash your <laughs> vagina and magic that water. You know, <laughs> we will deconstruct the power hierarchy through uh, feminist chemicals in the water supply. Uh, <laughs> I heard it here first, guys. That's yeah. That's the strategy. That is the grand conspiracy uh, of women in Australia to take yeah. down yeah. Uh, the neo-Nazi brigade. Yeah, uh, we're just going to keep flashing our vaginas in there. All right, I'm just, I'm just adding it to the strategy document. It's Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. We, we'll put some KPIs on that later. <laughs> a Gantt chart. Yeah, a Gantt chart. How how many men a day do you have to hypnotize? <laughs> oh. So yeah. anyway, sorry, we, we're getting off track. I have I don't even know what we were talking about before then, but it's fantastic. Oh, how <laughs> how um how the alt-right was quite successful. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I really do think that they've been really uh successful in adopting the language of the left. Mm. And and so now what we see the right doing is, you know, these really deliberate strategies to depoliticize language in ways that uh, obscures their own fascist ideology. I was just talking to someone yesterday about ASIO uh, removing references to right wing and um, extreme right from how they define terrorism. So they're now going to refer to things as being either ideologically motivated attacks or mm. religious or religiously motivated attacks. And I, I keep uh, I have quite an interest in how these things are played out. And if you look at any study, it'll show you going back to, you know, oh God, you could follow the whole fascist movement back. But, mm. you know, the last 20 years, if you look at domestic terrorism around the world and what kind of political ideology or religious ideology has actually uh, resulted in deaths, these are by far the majority are white white supremacist related, incel related, it's far right ideology and often Christian ideology, extreme Christian mm. ideology that drives domestic terrorism and the attacks. Uh, it, it's it's not, you know, a bunch of Muslim people uh, in, in America or Australia. And this information came out uh, on the anniversary of Christchurch, which, you know, it, it's just extraordinary that the Australian government and ASIO, who they themselves have said well over 40% of their current investigations are into far-right groups, they see it as a growing threat. They released that report, I think it was like earlier this year or maybe last year, uh, saying that right-wing right extremism is the greatest domestic terror threat that is going on and that it's on the rise. Uh, and here we are two years out from an Australian-born and bred uh, white supremacist who hung out with 
the neo-Nazi and right white supremacists here in Australia who we all know about and have fought on the streets and yeah. counter-protested against. We all knew this person had, had been involved with these people. In fact, he was at the launch of their political party in Toowoomba. Um, remember when they launched that stupid political party Fortitude with Blair oh, I don't remember Fortitude. There's been a few though since then. Right. Well, I think yeah. they're all I think they're all deregistered now because they they didn't have 500 members or whatever. Yeah. Um but yeah, this the the Christchurch um terrorist was at the political party launch of that event. So, you know, ASIO was not very good at keeping tabs on people, clearly. And now what they're doing is removing it so that I guess somehow, again, these men that sit in parliament in positions of power that have shown up at rallies with fascists and with neo-Nazis who have hung out with the Christchurch killer, now they no longer have acts of extreme violence and racism and misogyny associated with far-right ideology, according to ASIO, uh, as if somehow the domestic terrorism and violence is coming from the extreme left. I mean, let's be honest, the extreme left in Australia are running book fairs. Yeah, and and mutual aid. And mutual aid, yeah. Oh, no, I'm going to get you with my soup. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have a protest without a permit. Yeah, permits. I found it quite frustrating because the way that the Women's March was organised is that there was one organising team for Canberra then there was, like, satellite organising teams. Yeah. And pretty much the Canberra organising team made all, not all the decisions, but they had the consensus and everyone just had to sort of follow direction. Mm. So the Melbourne team were quite limited in, like, in regards to the permit. They had to apply for a permit and get permission for the permit. Whereas, like, for much as that I've done in the past, we've just done it anyway, regardless, mm. because I think we the government constantly tries to squash the right to protest. And at the moment, they're using COVID to try and implement these, these permits that if you have a, a demonstration that exceeds 100 people, you have to apply for this permit. There's two things about that. I mean, one, there's the hierarchy and power um, involved in organising mass movement or mobilise, let's say, mass mobilisations. It's not yeah, really bless. a a movement and I I you know I I wasn't involved in the actual organizing group but I've definitely heard feedback from different women around the uh, the country actually who know my interest in feminist work and and that I organize a lot on the streets Mm -hmm. so they were like oh what do you think about this or this so it it was a constant running theme that there was hierarchy people were locked out who were trying Mm -hmm. to offer assistance So there's a whole discussion about that, which maybe we can come back to, because I think I just want to address the the feminist connection to the idea of obtaining permission from the state to exercise uh, legitimate democratic expression, whether Mm. it's a pandemic or not. Uh, So we were talking earlier about the way the personal is political, but also the personal is the collective and state violence and the exercise of power, control and hierarchy through the states, uh, of course, exists really strongly in the police force and is very much founded on colonial white supremacy control and, mm. and patriarchal control 
of law and order, for example. What a lot of people might know is that in Melbourne in particularly, the activist and organising community fought very long and hard for us not need to get permission or a permit to protest. And the origins of that emerged during the early days of the Vietnam War. And it was the women that began to protest the Vietnam War in Melbourne. And the way they did that is they started by going out on the street, handing out flyers. And at that time, you were not even allowed to do that. Uh, you couldn't hand out flyers. And so they were getting arrested. So if Salt became... would be so pissed about that. Hey? <laughs> no badges, no flyers, no newspapers. Uh, <laughs> you definitely couldn't set out the table on the corner of the Imperial Hotel. And, and I only know this story because of all places, during one of those very long, tedious general assemblies at Occupy, I happened to be sitting next to a, a woman in her 70s who was one of those women who kicked this off. Oh, wow. And, and while there were absolutely useless stories being told over the microphone, I sat quietly with this woman for an hour and heard the story of how we ended up having to fight to not have permits together anywhere for protest in Melbourne. And it really began with these women recognising that if they handed out flyers that were against conscription and the war, they were getting arrested and having to go before a magistrate. So it became a tactic. So they would keep showing up, more of them showed up, more of them showed up until there were so many women women in Melbourne being arrested and put through the court system for handing out anti-war flyers. A magistrate finally lost his shit and said, this is absolutely ridiculous. You cannot keep doing this. So there was a change to the legislation around protest and flyers. And slowly that sort of evolved into people kind of going, well, this is a democratic right. We shouldn't need to have to get uh, a permit to gather, mm -hmm. to assemble. Uh, and we were able to secure that um, over a decade of people fighting on the streets to uh, not have to go through this patriarchal state system to demonstrate our right often against the state. You know, it's a ridiculous concept when you think about it, asking again for your oppressor to give you permission to protest their behaviour the yep. ultimate patriarchal circle of life, right? It's just, yeah. It's mind boggling. It, mm. it, you know, sometimes when I see things, when I saw them saying they needed a permit, I was too exhausted from doing all the unpaid domestic labor yeah. and working a full-time job to sit on Facebook and go, look, can I just explain to you why this is so anti-feminist mm. and why you are actually doing this is the reason they are able to inflict violence upon us, even in an office in parliament, because mm. we are now asking permission to gather to discuss the state's abuse of power against yeah. women. They, yeah. It, it blew my mind and it, it was the moment where I felt deeply depressed about going to the march. And then I kind of was like, okay, that they're new to this, whatever. Mm. They've done it, support it, show up, you know. And then I heard that we were not marching because mm. the police will use every tactic they can to contain us yeah. in a symbolic space. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, surely people will push back and we'll march anyway. Mm. Um, and I just found that super disappointing and it, it, it's turning 
because there are so many people like from XR and stuff that have also gotten involved and then moved on to other sort of areas of protest interest, it seems to be becoming more and more a, th a thing where people think that they can somehow convince the police to be on our side, that they think... Oh. The that they yep. think the police are acting in good faith, that they think that it's a legitimate reason to stop us marching because of public health. Since when are Victorian police in charge of executing public health? Like I think the militarization of public health is yeah. itself anti-feminist, is itself patriarchal. And I don't it's know. It's really maybe, concerning. It's really concerning. It's really deeply mm. concerning. And sometimes I think I'm just, I'm such a nerd for this stuff. And I'm so, I'm so sort of deeply embedded into my own personal commitment to constantly critically analyzing why I believe, think, act on things um, that maybe I expect too much from other people. And maybe it never even occurred to them that this was an act of violence by the state uh, against us, a coercive use of force. I think that's another reason why I was really disappointed that they were locking out some really experienced organisers yeah. who could have just said to them, like you could have just had this conversation with them and I yeah. bet they would have been receptive, but for some reason they just they just didn't. And you could, like I was, I was involved in the first meeting and I was just like, nope, can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> nope. I guess. I remember you messaging me and going, oh, oh, oh God. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was all pussy hats and GoFundMe campaigns. Yeah. Like, bless them. Like, I could see that they were just, there were so many emotions and everyone just wanted to get together and do something. Yes. There was no foresight. And that foresight would have come from having some really experienced organisers. Yeah. If we don't walk the talk, we end up replicating the hierarchical concentrated power structures that will always create privilege. Yeah. Patriarchy works to privilege men as a social group, but it also works to privilege those that will be compliant in yes. the system. Whether you're a woman, whether you're a black man, you know, if you are going to be compliant and do the foot soldiering for the patriarchy, you will be convinced that you have a seat at the table, even mm. if you don't really hold the power. Um, yeah. and, and this was the trick of Scott Morrison inviting them into the house as yeah. well, right? So for me, one of the things, and I, I don't know how we get this through to the broader left movement when it is so institutionalized through NGO hierarchical structure. And I'm very lucky that I work for Friends of the Earth that for 47 years has been practicing anti-hierarchical structure. So we have a very different, I'm in a little unicorn space, I understand. But what it has demonstrated to me over and over again is when you take that method and you apply it in other parts of the movement or organizing, it also works. And I think, you know, Wacker is an example of that. Um, mm. There are forest activist groups that, that use decentralized consensus, collective decision-making, um, and they do it well. I think, you know, just I referred to Occupy earlier. I think that was a, actually a very bad example of it. But when it's done well, it can be incredibly effective at neutralizing the domination, powerful voices or personalities, and it yeah. deconstructs hierarchy. And I felt my few sort of feeble attempts to early on go, hey, I'd love to help. I felt the hierarchy. I felt mm. the gatekeeping. And I was yeah. just like, nah, I, you know, I we, we have to learn to practice a new way of working together. And it's very, very hard when a lot of the left 
uh, embedded in union movements or the socialist movement that actually does still have quite deep hierarchy and concentration of power. And this is an issue because it doesn't allow the movement to grow. The reason for that is because, of course, you know, movement is messy and chaotic and people mm. don't like to feel out of control. Mm. Uh, and I love it. I think it when it's out of your control, you know it's working, to, to be honest. Yeah, you know, when it's in the hands of the community. Um, yeah, I think I think we get sort of. I think school does that to us, like Absolutely. that that kind of regimented, the industrial age sort of stuff. That the need to be in control is is very powerful. But I think it speaks really strongly to what you were saying before, and you called yourself a nerd for it. But that self criticism and that self reflection and like constantly checking in with yourself about what are your motivations and why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. Is it to further yourself or is it to further the community? And I yeah. think that's a really important question that a lot of people on the left need to answer. Yeah, like, exactly. And I know after IWD, I had to sit back for a, a, a good week, I think, and be like, yeah. all right, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for the right reasons? Yeah. Checked in with myself, told myself to get fucking over it and, and get back <laughs> on with the work. But like, I, I think that we need to continually do the work and unlearning capitalism, patriarchy, our own racism, our own internalized misogyny to yes. make sure that when we are actually on the street and handing out the flyers and creating our demands for, for our movements, that they are actually to benefit community, not to benefit ourselves. Because sometimes that's not that subconscious. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, what just picking up on what you were saying about education, if we think of education and we think of how the education system came about with the rise of industrialized capitalism, yeah. again, going back to the concept of using slavery, racism, and uh, femicide and misogyny through, you know, witch hunts, etc. All of these things go together. And, you know, prior to the, that sort of peak industrial development, children were working in coal mines. They were treated as adults. There was, this is, this is all part of the law and order state and church focused control, which is founded on the very concept of patriarchal notions of benefiting a social group. And we just, we so often ignore that th these are the very systems that have written our political philosophy, that have created our legal systems, our education systems, our police systems, our decision-making systems, our parliaments yeah. are all deeply founded from a time where women were considered chattel and Aboriginal people were considered flora and fauna. I yeah. mean, we have to ask ourselves if our own understandings and methodologies around not only organising, but how we relate to our education structures and our political structures, these are also deeply founded on what I think is the source hierarchy, the common denominator across interlinked oppression is that all of those oppressions are controlled and meted out with violence mm. by a patriarchal elite group of privileged people that hold to the power of the social benefits of that privilege. So mm. yeah, it's it's not only are we having to undo the internalized misogyny by being inculcated from the time we're five into mm. hierarchical structures of power, but when we've done doing that reflection, and then turn ourselves back outwards, we have to understand that none of our institutional structures are fit for the purpose of system change that we need as global communities if we are going to survive climate change 
and the violence of the patriarchal state across the planet. Uh, mm. and, and that's, you know, that can be really overwhelming. Um, just as thinking about, you know, Naomi Klein saying we need to change everything if, if, if we're going to deal with climate change. And, and it's true. Like there are mm. material changes to structures that need to be made. It just you know, in our energy system, but more importantly, when is it that we will acknowledge that the structures that we have built have been premised on the domination of a masculine class and a masculine ideology that insists that it is the head of the family, it is the head of the state, it is the head of the church, it is the head of the judicial system, you know. That is the common hierarchy amongst all oppression is that it is meted out by mainly a privileged masculine class. Um, And so when people tell me, you know, the problem isn't uh, patriarchy, it's capitalism, I actually think that capitalism is a tool of oppression of patriarchal hierarchy. And I feel like patriarchy existed long before capitalism. And in societies that don't have capitalism, you know, it's like when do we actually acknowledge the source hierarchy that has set these systems up and have made every single person through the dominant culture view the world through the male gaze of, mm. of how we function. And, you know, it's it's not about hating men. It's about liberating ourselves and everybody else from the domination of father knows best. You know, I think we need to really decenter men from the from the feminist movement and stop yeah. talking about feminism as a response. Like it absolutely is a response to patriarchy and a, and a yeah. counterattack to patriarchy. But it's it, it's a source of empowerment and it's mm. a philosophy. And it like when when I talk about having a feminist political party, I don't mean like let's all sit around and talk about period. I mean like having feminism yes. and intersectional feminism as the base of a political movement and then what comes on top of that is is the socialist and the communist policies that exactly. follow. Exactly. Um when you keep saying that like like men on the left are saying patriarchy isn't the po- problem capitalism is I think they're trying to excuse them of their own complicitness Compli- yes. is, is complicitness a word their, 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 <laughs> own, their own their own sexism essentially which well, is their again own, their own benefit yes their own yeah. benefit as a social group yeah I mean capitalism exists like you said before on slavery but the unpaid labor of women that's yep. patriarchal yes. and and to ignore that they're not both it's so so closely into intertwined is yep. like essentially one's one's the root system and the other are the leaves or I don't know if that's a fair analogy but like you know and then you've got like colonialism is is the sap that runs through it I don't know like let's just make our own metaphors here but like (laughs) to, to, to pretend that these things are not all so intrinsically linked is a real mistake it is yeah I I think many uh many years ago Bedlam and I were having a conversation about this and he, he referred to it in his usual raw form as the coctopus. So <laughs> it's like patriarchy is the body, but all of the limbs, are, you know, the capitalism and the colonialism and, you know, the, vi- you know, like it's a, it's a giant coctopus. Basically. Has he drawn that? 
Yes, he has. Um, can we put that on a t-shirt? Yeah, I will try and get him to. Um, I I'll try and get him to resend me it if he's still got it. He must have it somewhere. But if he's he doesn't. Defin- he needs to do it again because that's okay. incredible. It's really. I love octopus. I think octop octopies are the most amazing creatures. Three hearts, endless little brains on each tentacle. No but shit. It, yeah. So they have nine brains. They they have their main brain and then they have effectively each tentacle has its own brain and then they have three hearts go figure that sounds like like what the left needs to be exactly exactly Mm. uh it it does need to be um but yeah I really I really liked it as a a metaphor because it's it's like yes they act together, but they also have their own separate brain. But ultimately, the way they function is to reabsorb and adapt, change color, shape, to go, well, here's the better version of masculinity. So now I'll rule because, you know, I'll, t- I'll be benevolent. I'll be a benevolent leader. And they're using the armor capitalism, colonialism, um, you know, homophobia, Islamophobia, you know, whatever the sexist, racist, discriminatory form of it is, it's all about retaining concentration of power and control, Mm. Um, you know, and we're taught that, as you said earlier, from a really, really early age. Um, Mm. And so I, I guess what it brings me to is this idea that, yes, feminism is not just about responding to the violence of patriarchy and masculinity. Feminism is about a political tool of action to bring about real material beneficial changes to societies. And and I think that, you know, what the women in Rojava have been doing is, is such a great example of that. I, mm-hmm. I've been listening to this podcast by Robert Evans, a um, old school anarchist from journalist from Portland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he went to Rojava in 2019 to hang out and see see what was going on over there and he he's reading out sections of uh, a training manual for anyone that joins their uh, military and before they go into military training of you know getting fit and using guns they spend a month in this kind of ideological and political feminist formation which has a manual with it and he was reading out parts of the manual uh which are talking all about this stuff that that you know the violence of the state is patriarchy it extends beyond syria Mm. through through time and and that we need to recognize this that we are part of a much bigger struggle to liberate ourselves from systems that no longer serve us and that actually imposed oppression upon not just women but entire countries and communities and that it can bring about real material change so for example what rahava does is they have co- presidency and ministries so there is uh, a woman always a woman or a man like two together it's it's never it's never just one you know imagine mm. imagine how different our political system could look if if it wasn't just old white men that got to hold ministry what mm. if what if we were actually able to change our understanding of how our politics are structured and insist that um you know each ministry had to have uh, a non cis man um or a woman or a person of color 
you know, that it had to be somebody that wasn't old, white and male um, yeah. co-chairing each ministry. You know, there's there so many things that that I think we, we look to change incremental things through tiny bits of legislation, but we still all accept that we function under the same system and, and actually... The further along I go on my journey of feminist political action, the more I recognise that while we don't have power, while we don't have the numbers or the capacity because of the way things are structured to actually be in control of decision-making, it will always be incremental change that another Tony Abbott can come along and reverse or another Scott Morrison can come along and reverse because we haven't changed the structure. And the structure is what is killing us, what is killing uh, black and brown people, what is killing the planet because it's it's driven through an inflexible structure that, that has deliberately discluded us from the very beginning and is a replication of the ones domination of the nuclear family you know which has been nothing but a way to control women's sexuality and participation in workforce and society that's Mm. what it was all about to make us pop out more economic units yeah just keep breeding workers Yeah. yeah yeah and and even the whole focus on worker and you know it's that's another um, discussion. Like, you know, the, there are some groups of people that are like, patriarchy is not the problem. Capitalism is the problem. Mm. And then I was in America just before the uh, 2016 election where Trump won. And I went to a event in Chicago where there was a socialist um, professor talking around how identity politics is a distraction from organizing around workers to create material change and and that the way that the left movement should be focused is not through Black Lives Matter or Me Too, that it should focus on the fund, go back to Marx, focus on the fundamental basis of Workers United will never be defeated and and the lens and the frame we should be looking to build change through is unions and worker-based, you know, organising. I hate this so much. I know, so do I. I ended up, I walked, I was sitting right in the middle of the audience and then a young woman stood up and said, well, this seems like a very old-fashioned way of viewing the impact of climate, of capitalism, and and really gave this great intersectional sort of challenge to him saying, these are all things that you're describing as identity, but they're deeply structural. Mm. And, And when you speak of me as just a worker, you you hide the fact that I, I experience violence, unpaid labour, insecure work. And so you ask me to commit to a frame of fighting for social justice through the de-identified concept of worker, but really within that exist all of those oppressions. And he basically almost like waved his hand at her and said, feminism is a problem for the working class. And at that point, I just stood up <laughs> and had to go, excuse me, excuse me, and make my way through all these chairs. I was just How like, did I you not just yell out, you fucking cunt? I was Stop just like, raping people. I was just like, I have to get out of here. This is a leading professor from a Chicago university talking about how important socialism and worker focused movement is and we should drop all this other bullshit about race or sex or ableism or you know all those things and to me I kind of feel that you know just as talking about 
one particular thing blinds you to the other oppressions, when we try and reduce our struggle to this blanketed word of worker, then once again, women are being asked to put their issues on hold and we'll get to that after the revolution, right? But the first to benefit will be the men, always. And the last to benefit will be, you know, people of colour and women. So Meanwhile, we're the ones doing all the fucking work. Yes, oh but, but please, can you organise the entire event for us? Oh, it, just, <laughs> it just makes me like, think of that you. XR. Yeah, giant fuck you. That, um, that XR thing, do you remember when I was telling you about that, yeah. that XR, where the guy was just like, oh, look, I peaceful protests and I don't believe in telling people to do anything like people should just like get up and activate and I'm just like you are so blind to all the work that grassroots feminist organizations do and the women in your organizations do to actually work and activate and agitate people to get people on the streets yes oh my god it's magic because it's invisible right yeah. And this is, this is the thing. It's like constantly being made invisible to prevent a face of unity that fails to address the very oppressive, racist and sexist attitudes that exist in, in, in the left. And, mm. and because, we're, because, again, yeah, all the systems are set up that way, right? Mm. I, I've seen women do endless hours of work for events uh, writing all the words, all the media releases, all the things. And at the last minute, the men that are speaking, changing media releases to claim the quotes as coming from men, um, getting up and thanking each other for being present for the event, but not thanking the women that have worked for a month to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've all been there, yeah. you know. So I think it's really convenient to say, identity politic is getting in the way of structural reform. I do agree that there that we need to take the analysis into there are people that don't do that bridge between my personal identity is also my structural oppression. Yeah. And and cancel culture identity politics are being weaponized by both the left and right in that yeah. c- culture war argument. Yeah. When really what we should be saying is Compounded oppression is real. It has real material outcomes for poverty, health, life expectancy, uh, maternal health rates, etc., etc. And telling us to unite behind working men as workers united will never Ugh. be defeated, or as it's only about me too, or it's only about BLM. No, it, it, it's actually about identifying then how do we jump that bridge to then go, and that means we need structural system change, you know? And I feel like that that is a big problem for building movement in the left because mm. the way that those that hold hierarchy and power want us to fall in line is through these big homogenous concepts that actually leave the majority of working people behind anyway mm. and at the same time completely blind us to the very real compounded oppressions that many of us experience because of our socioeconomic status or our race or Mm. etc you know I just I hate the idea of having my humanity based in my capacity to work I know I just hate it so much and I I, and I, I think identity politics has been 
Like when people say, oh, I hate id poll, I have to ask them what do they mean by id poll. Me too, every single time. Because I'm just like, because I don't know whose definition you're using. Are you using the right wing kind of speaking points or are you using like its actual literal definition? Like who who are you talking on behalf of here? Yes, and and when people say to me feminism is nothing but identity politic, I always then have to ask, how do you define your feminism? Yeah. Explain to me, explain to me then what you think feminism is. And mm. nine times out of 10, those people can never explain what they mean. And they're like, oh, well, how do you explain it? And I'm like, well, I believe in anti-capitalist grassroots feminism that addresses interlinked, mutually reinforcing oppressions. I want system change and liberation, not equality in a broken system. That's yeah. my feminism. <laughs> yeah. What, what are what, you? What's why? yours? <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it, it, it's just like this empty rhetoric that comes from some sort of, even from men and women on the left, some really deeply sort of unconscious lack of understanding that the work hasn't been done, that that this aspirational attempt for equality like goes nowhere because it requires you to first accept that the system works and that we can achieve equality within it. So effectively this, this capitalism works because we yeah. don't have equality that's the fundamental yeah. basis of capitalism exactly there's so, no capitalism <laughs> light no. like you can't use socialism within capitalism yeah like you can't do it i'm sorry i'm sorry you centrist libertarian wank fucks it's not gonna happen sorry that's, that's it my, so that's no, my so- one rant for the episode <laughs> It's a great rant and it basically, you know, it gets down to it. If you're a feminist and you're not anti-capitalist, then I really urge people, like if, you, if you've if you never thought about that and you're listening to this, go away and fucking think about it because it's fundamental to then realising how feminism can become a tool of action, Yeah, you know. But also if you hadn't thought of it from that perspective, like no shame, no. Like we we all exist in this system and it's it is a process of unlearning. Oh my god, and we've all yeah, yeah we've all been there. I mean my yeah. feminists in my early twenties, you know, were you know, some of them were embarrassing, you know. I look back now and think of some of the things I thought at the time, you know, 101 at university and still trying to wrap your head around everything and constantly unpacking mm. to this day, every single day, like I said reflecting on the march for justice, not wanting to shit on other women for activating, but also kind of asking from the heart to seriously consider the hierarchies and how you're how you're activating. And, yeah. and, and even in the climate movement, like this is one of the arguments I've had with XR. You've come into the movement and shat on everyone that has come before you by saying that they haven't been effective. We would not have Jabaluka. We would not have the Daintree. We would not have the Franklin River. We would not have an emissions reduction target. We would not have a fracking ban if it was not for all the communities and the people that you say have done nothing to stop climate change. Yeah. You know, it's it's just these massive blanketed concepts and statements of not knowing your history. Same with getting a permit from the police. Mm. You know, and we've all all been there and we all have to learn. And so on that respect, I I do encourage us all. And I know sometimes I can be a harsh critic because I get frustrated as well, but I'm I'm always trying to remind myself that we've all been in different spaces all the time. And the only way to move that forward is to be able to have safe, honest, critical action learning reflections with each yeah. other. And strike. Um, 
and strike, <laughs> fucking strike and withdraw our labour. Yes, we're 51% of the population. I know. And that's Should... just the cis women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I've spoken previously about um, how we were going to have strike. I think it's probably a bit daunting for a lot of people. So we have changed the, oh, I don't know if daunting is the right word, but we've changed the name to Feminist Fridays, which is going to be more of a an ongoing event where we can where we can have our yells and have a bit of a demo and then go and plan and organise and collectivise. So I think the next one's, we decided the 30th of April. Yes. At 30th. Parliament House. Yeah. 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 And I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And I really I enjoyed the the conversation that we've been having about this idea of, you know, we really need a united feminist front-facing campaign political force. I feel that's been lacking for yeah. quite a few decades now. It kind of pops up around violence uh and occasionally a few other issues. But, but really what we need is, yeah, to collectively go, this is where we're at, this is what we still haven't got, and this is, these are the demands. And if they won't meet those demands, maybe the next step is we take power, you mm-hmm. know, um, because, again, this is something the older I get, the more I'm kind of aware of the fact that we spend so much time banging on the outside, yeah. um, asking the very people that benefit from oppressing us, uh, uh, maybe what we need is to actually take that power away from them and yeah. Not, not replace it with more old white men, you know. Or even more old white women. Just Exactly. Yeah, really examine how the structure works and how the system works because I do yes. think that there is an element of power corrupting people. Yeah. So we need to look at and protect against that as well. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see, you know, us be able to collate information for what women want to change, mm-hmm. you know, from all around Australia and for us to actually, you know, blue sky for once and imagine that we mm. can we can actually change things. It's that old um, Angela Davies uh, quote around, you know, the revolution has to happen in the mind as well. Mm. There has to be a shift that takes ba- place in what you understand is possible and then you have to act like it's possible every single day to find the pathways for that change. So, yeah, I, I would hope that whatever springs out of March for Justice, I would hope that one of those things is a concerted effort from women around the country to collectivise mm. and and to develop a, a kind of top 10 things that we can say we've seen things from women all around Australia and we all agree that these things need to happen as a matter of priority. You yeah. know? And yeah, to, think, to think about it from a really, yeah, an anti-capitalist grassroots feminist perspective and what does that mean? You know, I would hope that things like that would include um, some of the things you mentioned earlier, like stop taking away Aboriginal women's babies, um, acknowledge <laughs> like sovereignty. Like at the very fucking least. Acknowledge sovereignty. Least. Get yeah. on with it. Like we all know these things are essential if we're to move forward together. So, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it, whether there's um, 20 of us or 2,000 of us. <laughs> um, I feel like we we can begin something and I think it's it's the starting that is always the hardest bit. Yeah. Yeah, and ever I mean I know it sounds daunting. Like striking sounds kind of scary. Like it's mm. this is like putting people's incomes and livelihoods at risk. So yeah. I think that the community support needs to be there and the Yeah. Yeah, and the the workplace support. 
But I think there's enough, there's so many established grassroots organizations that are all essentially fighting for the same thing, mm. but differently. Like we've got climate justice, we've got refugee yep. action, uh, things like Slut Walk and the vigils and anti-rape campaigns. There's like the Black Lives Matter, uh, Indigenous yep. Justice, all happening, se- happening separately. But mm. if we bring all of these groups together in a concentrated effort to apply pressure to government, Yes. I actually think that we can make we can make actual change. Yeah. Like we can do things, we can hold that power. Yeah. And and this is, you know, this is always the trick of the patriarchy mm. to to divide and conquer, to put us in separate silos with separate issues to compete mm. against each other in scarcity for resource. Mm. Um and I, I think the thing that always uh catches them off guard is when we come together and they realize, you know, that, that we're more powerful together. And I, I think a, a good recent example of that would maybe be the marriage equality stuff. As much as I think marriage equality, you know, whatever, if you want to get married and be miserable, like the rest of us go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> good luck on your journey into, into marriage. But I understand it fundamentally as a human right in relationship to think certain things that you can't do in society, you know, um, unless you, you are considered that person's partner, et cetera, and, and then it should be a right if people want to embrace that. Um, but I think it's a really good example of what happens when the community comes together, those bigoted, oppressive forces were just unable to stop it, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think we should probably wrap it up there. Sure. <laughs> I think we did. You remember how I was just like, oh, if we don't do a timeline, then <laughs> yeah, we're going to yeah, yeah. talk for four hours. I think we might have talked for four hours, but that's okay. No. no. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, please go and listen to my past episodes and go check out They're Going to Kill Us. Yes. I, yes. The, the poor will feed the birds is still in my brain, but that's okay. <laughs> um, also listen to Tom's podcast as well. It's also great. Yeah. 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 Thanks everyone. Catch you next time. And thanks for coming, Sam. Thanks, Leah. Have a good weekend. What weekend? <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.